Glad to see you're here today. We are discussing a message series called Brought into the Fold. And we've been looking at some questions like, how can we become a church that warmly invites other people in? How can we be actively looking for outsiders so that we could bridge newer people into our community? We really want to have an inclusive culture, uh, not a superior one or one that just says like, oh, we're, we're mighty and you can't join us. No, we, we want to be a place where the front door is always open for new people to enter and to feel a sense of belonging and uh, really for people to be brought into the fold. And uh, the, the only thing, though, is if we're, if we're going to be that kind of group, we have to be the kind of fold that people want to be brought into. <laughs> Meaning, we've got to be the kind of people that people want to be spending time with. So imagine, imagine if we were successful at including new people, but then they discovered our relationships were full of problems and frustrations. They're like, I don't want that, or that, that, that would be kind of a, they, people maybe turn around. And I think there are certain things that are necessary for relationships to do really well. You have in your life right now a, a smattering of relationships and different ones at, in your family and at work and at home. And people, you, you, you have to experience a, a certain amount of good things in a relationship for it to work well. Some of your relationships, probably there's maybe more rough interactions going on. And, and for, for things to operate smoothly, we, we've got to learn how to trust people. And then we have to learn how to deal with violations of trust. So maybe you were trusting and then a person did something that actually violated the trust. And actually, trust is pretty precious. It takes a long time to rebuild. But, you know, most of us, we expect or at least want good things to flow out of life. And there are, some, there are certain ways of acting or even thinking that we may do that, that end up destroying some of the goodness in our relationships. We may have some unrealized patterns uh, that sink very deep into who we are that starts eroding the goodness in our, in our relationships. There, there's some, so what we're going to look at today are, we're calling them relationship killers. And so there's things that, uh, if, you, if you put it this way, Let's say you've got some difficult people in your life, and you're like, relating to them is really difficult. Maybe they're doing some relationship killer things. And then maybe as we look through some of these, you might identify, actually, there's some things that I'm doing that may be grinding down on some of my relationships, and I didn't realize it before. So either it kind of works either way. There are some patterns that really sink down deep into who we are, and very often they're unrealized. And the relationship killers that we can get into don't immediately blow up a relationship generally, but there's a disintegration that starts, an erosion, where um, you may be relating with a person and eventually that relationship just sort of withers and dies over time. And so we're going to look at six fairly standard relationship killers. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll share how I've, uh, I've had to really confront each of them directly. All of these I've had to work through myself. But these, these are six things that keep coming up over and over again. And if, so if you have any relationships in your life at all, you're going to know what I'm talking about. We're going we're to dive. You're going to see, man, I've experienced this. Wow, some of my relationships are suffering. So one, one of the things that comes up over and over again for each of us is the number one relationship killer is a refusal to be honest about who you are. This is where, if, if we're not honest about who we really are, then we never really make a connection with another person. Of course, when it comes to being honest, you don't have to be the kind of person that you just meet somebody and then you just dump your whole life right out there on, the, on a new person. And of course, uh, the Bible does teach discretion, meaning like sharing appropriately in the, at the appropriate times. And certainly there's private areas of your life and there's some things that if you meet a new person, you share some things first, you hold off on sharing certain things later. But overall, sometimes we lie about who we are because we want a relationship so bad. This is, we can get into this where, man, we, we enter into a relationship and really it's, it's the relationship is, is a figment of the other person's imagination because they're relating, but it's not to the real me. 
And uh, this, can, this happens in a lot of different types of relationships. This often happens in dating relationships. Maybe, man, I really, really want a relationship with this person. And so uh, maybe one of the people starts presenting themselves as somebody else. It's just, it's just not the real me. It's not limited to dating. We can, we can pretend um, in other kinds of relationships. We can pretend to be more accommodating than we really are. It just like seems so easygoing, and then there's like there's just some things churning on the inside that aren't that aren't being brought out. Or maybe there's a history where maybe you have some um, relationship where there's some hurt feelings or some frustrations, but we never bring it up. So there's something. Oh, there's some frustrations or hurt going on, and if I if I did bring it up, it might threaten the relationship, or it might make things really uncomfortable. So I just won't. I won't bring it up. And then the other person keeps doing those damaging things. But we never say anything about it and quietly start growing bitterness towards them. And then until eventually one day, boom, it does come out eventually or something bad happens. And so there's this basic honesty that's required in each relationship. Ephesians 4.25 says, therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Um, there is a basic honesty in all relationships. Definitely this is required in marriages between husbands and wives. It's really easy for certain things to go unvocalized or unaddressed. And you just feel like, oh, I don't feel like it can really say what I'm thinking about that topic. Or maybe there's just certain issues like, oh, we, can't, we just can't even talk about that. The, the relationship is going to erode whenever that's happening. But even for... Even for um, um, less committed relationships. There, we need a basic honesty. And uh, if you think, if you're a type of person that you think you're really, really great, you probably don't have a lot of trouble with this. <laughs> if you're a person, you know you've got problems, maybe you have more trouble with this. But this, this relationship killer was generally my experience for most of my life all the way through my 20s. And I really didn't start, because I'm more of an internal processor, I can do a lot of thinking in my head, um, less sharing and just takes a lot of effort for me to, to express how I'm feeling what I'm thinking so what I what I experienced was this thing that was constricting my relationships and my friendships my I had friendships that really only they never really went that deep and I didn't really know why because I I, I would really struggle just to be honest about who I was and just be like more freely open what was going on inside me and so for any relationship to work two people two real people have to meet each other. It's the real person meeting the real person. And um, you can't have one person meeting unreality. Um, so the, the big problem with being dishonest about who we are is that we remain insulated. So on the inside, um, one person thinks, hey, we have, we have a good friendship going. But the other person is quietly dying on the inside. And no one would know. Maybe, maybe it's we want a relationship so bad, but a person, like, the person never really meets the real me. Other people don't meet the real me. And they, like, in my case, I didn't even really know what was going on. I didn't know. And, and uh, other people, maybe at church or at home or whatever, they, they're relating to a front, and everything looks okay on the outside. At church, if you're going to be in a church like this, you have to willingly form relationships. This is, this is hard for some people. You have to willingly form relationships and then start letting people in. It's really hard to do for some. I have, to, I have to start letting people know who I am. I have to know, let people know eventually what I'm struggling with or, or where I need help. Um, if, we don't, if we don't begin to do this, then we remain insulated, and then it leads to drying up and dying. And nobody can fix it except the person who's been dishonest. And sometimes people don't even realize that, this is, that they're doing this, and they're like, ah, I, just can't, I just can't connect with any people, or these people are they're no good, or just there's not enough community there. And it's easy to look around and see, like, think that the, the environment is the problem when it's really the, this, this killer. So for me, this was really hard. When I began to realize this was something that I did for many years, um, it was very hard to admit that this is a form of lying. If I'm not honest about who I am, I'm, I'm, I'm lying about who I am on the inside. And so you can begin to share. I mean, you can start with basic things like, well, what, what kind of things do you like? What things don't you like? <laughs> how, 
how do you feel about certain things going on? Not like, it's not that everyone has to be a running opinion box all the time, but there just needs to be some reality about who's, on, who's in there. Um, another strategy along this line, which is sort of different, is sometimes people will use an argumentative approach to keep people away at arm's length. Where if, if I can attack someone's ideas, then I can avoid sharing personal information about myself. I'm just always critical and shutting things down, and I disagree with that. There's this front of argumentation where I never have to let it get personal to me. So we, we, can, we can take an, a critical or an opposing stance, but it, that really might just be a shield to prevent people from getting too close. It appears, it looks really strong, but we don't want people to discover really how fragile, really how insecure I really am on the inside. So if you don't really like sushi, just say you don't like sushi. <laughs> just be honest about it. Be honest about it. Maybe share your thoughts. Share your feelings. Actually, maybe if you share your honest opinion about something, it might create some tension in the moment. That's okay. A little tension is a part of relating. But man, it'll be so much better for the future. Go ahead and, and, and just begin to like allow things to get stirred up if they need to get stirred up so that we can have reality interacting here. So this, this number one, this is a relationship killer. Actually, it, it's, not the, it, this, this, it's not like there's a really healthy relationship and this one kills it. This one prevents relationships from ever forming to begin with. So this kills it before it even gets off the ground. On a less extreme level, maybe, maybe you're not you know, real extreme on this one, but to whatever degree you limit your honesty, that's the de degree that your relationships get constricted. So maybe you're a little dishonest, but that means your relationships are somewhat, um, are a little bit shallow, or it, it can only go so deep. Another relationship killer is using the other person to meet my needs. Now this one, this is rampant. I'm gonna describe it, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're gonna be able to think of people or think of your own life situations. But here's, this is a strategy that says, um, I'm going to be really focused on getting what I want out of this relationship. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. I, I, you know, I want to contribute and be a giving person, but really, I'm focused on getting what I need from you. And I'll draw resources from you, and, and then the relationship starts coming apart. Um, it could be emotional needs. Um, Larry Crabb, in his book, he, de he describes marriage where this is going on, and it's when you have two people that are trying to get what they need or what they think they need out of a relationship, it's kind of like um, ticks trying to suck the life out of a dog, but the problem in a marriage is it's two ticks and no dog. They're just sucking the life out of each other. And it doesn't work because each person wants their needs to be met by the other person. And when we approach people wanting to draw from them rather than act in the best interests, the problems begin. Maybe, uh, maybe a person thinks, all right, I finally found a person who's going to make me feel okay. Like, this, this is my person. I'm going I'm to relate to you, and I'm going to be okay with myself. Things, they're going to make me feel great whenever I feel discouraged. Like, this is great. I got, but in reality, you know, that other person is like trying to pump as fast as they can to make that person feel good, and it's, they just never get full enough. You just can't do enough to meet all the needs. Uh, or maybe... They're saying, oh, this person is finally going to give me the, the intimate relationship that I want. Or I'm going to be able to share, you know, my secrets about life. And uh, this is going to be my really close friend. This is going to be my best friend and my buddy. Well, maybe the other person is not that interested in going that deep. <laughs> like that's, that would be a problem. Um, but if I'm, if I'm hanging my hopes on this being my buddy, my best friend, or my intimate person, and they don't want to do that, then I feel let down. And I'm like sad and mad and frustrated. Maybe, maybe I'm trying to drive the relationship to a deeper level and they're not wanting to go there. They're not, they don't want to go there yet. So then what I could do is I can, I can begin to squeeze them where they lose their freedom. It's kind of like a jar where all the air gets sucked out. Have you ever felt in a relationship where there's like, you feel like there's no air? Like I, I can't breathe. And so a person that's feeling this kind of pressure, from a, it, they start to back off. 
So this, this intent to take what we want from people, really it's, it's what we think we need, then it it's destroys relationships. There's another angle where sometimes uh, somebody wants another person to take over their responsibilities, to like be their mommy or their daddy for them. And in a truly mature relationship, each person needs to carry their own load in life. Galatians 6.5 says each person will have to carry his own load. And if a person's not carrying their own basic responsibilities for like work and for providing for themselves, just like handling even their own emotions rightly and just like taking care of, um, I don't know, their, their stuff and their schedule and they're just like being their own person. And we're talking about adults, we're not talking about kids. Like if an adult's not taking care of themselves, oh, it's a drain. It is a drain on the other people around them. You know, we definitely, as Christians, we, we help other people when they need help and, and serve. And sometimes we help in really big ways. We help, we help when there's an overwhelming burden or a disaster or like extreme difficulty. But when it comes to the daily stuff, the, the, the basic life responsibilities, everyone carries their own pack, um, which is kind of a... a this, this idea about carrying his own load, you can think of, there's almost like this soldier imagery that comes to mind where a soldier's pack is about 80 pounds, which is really heavy. Life sometimes feels heavy, so we gotta, we gotta carry this. But, but sometimes there's, there's rock slides and we dig each other out. We, we will bear each other's burdens in these extreme moments, but not the daily stuff. Um, so what a person who's, who's using this strategy might say is, man, the, the things that I want out of this person, they're not supplying. They're not giving me what I need and what I want. It could be, I mean, this could be, again, if, if this is a guy and girl dating relationship, it could be sexual needs. It could be one person is pressuring. There's all kinds of lines to do the pressure with. But all that is is just taking from someone to meet my needs. Other avenues of doing this are I need a need for entertainment. I want to be entertained with this person, or I want them to meet my deep emotional hurts, and I want them to help heal me from my pains, or I, I, I'm, I need companionship, or whatever. And whenever people get into this mode, there's usually a few different strategies. I've listed a few different ways this comes up. One is a term called seductive helplessness. And this is a strategy where a person gives this impression that, like, I can't do anything on my own. I just, I'm, I'm sort of helpless. Like, I'll, I'll get sick to make sure that the other person stays in town. So you can't leave because you got to take care of me. Or, you know, they try to nail a person down. Or they, they get down and lonely whenever you're not around. I, I just, you don't want me feeling lonely, do you? Like, or I, I, just, I just miss our time together. I just feel so bad. I'm so discouraged. I, and so when, when this starts happening, the other person feels like they can't get away. I, like, I, I can't go anywhere. Or, or another, this may come out of like, I, I'm just really shy around other people and I can't really develop new friendships. I, like, I need you to be there for me so you can help me with my shyness. And you have to be, you have, you have to be my one person to meet all my needs. Like, you got to be it. This is seductive helplessness because it requires that other people violate just healthy boundaries for relating, like of their personhood. Um, it kind of, if this is happening, and it kind of a more extreme version, it kind of feels like a fly being left alone with the spider. You're like, like I can't get away. Like, I want to get out. So sometimes people will try to nail other people down to, to, to dominate their focus. So the other person doesn't have time for like other healthy relationships. Like they're, they're trying to suck all the time and this person is running around trying to fill them up and that way the spider doesn't have to compete for attention. They can just dominate it all. Um, so if a person is saying like, I just, I just can't do it on my own. This is a clingy um, binding approach. Um, and this, this really is wrong because it robs people of the freedom that Christ intends. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So if you get into a strategy, or I'm sorry, a relationship like this, it's good to back out and reevaluate what is going on. 
Um, other strategies besides, besides the one I just mentioned, here's another um, way this kind of comes out, is sometimes people will manipulate the other person to, to do their will. And the, a big strategy is guilt. It's like gonna make them feel bad. Like I'm just gonna lay on the pressure and you're just not, I'm gonna make you feel bad about who you are or what kind of Christian you are or how good of a son or daughter you are or like you ought to, and all these, li there's these lines that maybe you've heard before where it's trying to stir up guilt. Um, another approach would be belligerence, where a person, if, if you don't do what they want, they'll poof, get angry. Just like, ah. So people have to like jump in line real quick and start like acting to like make the person feel better. And, uh, or ploys and games, um, where a person will just kind of like set up situations, like creating, I'm gonna create a time and a situation where you have to be there, and if you don't, bad things will happen. And there's, it's, it's all, these are all different ways of manipulating a person. Um, and then one other strategy where this comes out is over-serving or over-giving. Um, sometimes the manipulator, the manipulating person, will do a lot for you. They'll start serving you. Um, they'll do this for you, and then they'll be there for you, and then they'll, they'll do this as well. And, and they'll do, like, wow, they're doing all these things. And all of a sudden you're like, oh gosh, I'm feeling kind of guilty. Like, now I'm feeling indebted all of a sudden. Like, how did this, how did this happen? Like, they start doing way more than what an ordinary person would do. Like, there's like kindness, we, you know, we give and we share, but this person's like, they're doing a lot more. Why are they doing so much for me? It's a gift. Oh, and another gift. Oh, they just gave me another gift. This is really expensive. Like, why? This is, this is over the top. And you've, it, feels, it feels unnatural. It's like, this is, it feels beyond generosity. And the, and the intention is, for, in some cases, is to indebt the giver, or the, I'm sorry, the receiver. And then you feel guilty if you upset them. We were just watching a, a TV show um, where this, this couple, the, the, the guy is working for the father-in-law, but the guy wanted to, they wanted to move to a different state. And so then the father-in-law, he's like, since you've been such a great employee, my son-in-law, I'm gonna give you a $1,000 bonus. And then the guy is like, oh man, he tells his wife, your dad just gave me a $1,000 bonus, I can't leave now. Like, he thinks I'm a great employee. I'm like, that's happening. It's like, it's a, he, that's what it was, a gift to indebt and just kind of sort of manipulate and influence the outcome. So if someone starts a pattern of over-serving or over-giving, you can bring it up. You can actually talk about it and talk about a healthy relationship. Say, I, hey, I'd, like, I'd like to discuss about what's going on here. I'm seeing some things. Um, actually, any of the ways that a person might be pushing to get their needs met, any of these ways that I've just listed, if these are happening, it means the relationship is unhealthy and you either need to back up or you need, you need to call the person to deal with this strategy, which, which means a confrontation is necessary, which most people probably like to avoid confrontations. But when we, when we do this, if we're going to bring something up and just call to light the things that are going on, certainly you want to err on the side of kindness. But if the person is out of bounds, they're going to push. They're going to just keep doing that thing until a confrontation is needed. And I'm going to tell you, confrontation can be, a very, the, it can be the loving thing to do. Because people are using strategies, and what, what's ultimately happening in their life is they're pushing people away. And so that as they push people away, they just end up hurting. They're like, their strategies are destroying their relationships. They probably can't even see it. And um, if, if this is you, if you are the person, <laughs> if you are the person who's trying to get your needs met and trying to draw the resources from these people in your life, one thing, the, the starting point for you would be to say, like, only God can meet my deepest needs. God is the only one who can meet my deepest needs. Even, even in your closest relationships, in marriage, my wife, I, I cannot meet all of my wife's needs. And if two people, in a healthy way, if two people are drawing their resources from God and he's meeting their needs, they can both contribute to the marriage. And they don't become like two ticks sucking the life out of each other. In any, in any relationship, two people draw needs from God, knowing from him, like, if I know from God why I'm significant, I'm getting my encouragement from him, knowing ultimately my safety and my well-being, it all comes from him, he will ultimately protect me, and I trust him. 
to meet my needs. We can, draw those, we can draw those needs from God and then begin contributing to relationships. But if you're trying to get security or significance from others, they're going to run dry. They end up like yesterday's bugs in a spider web. <laughs> relationships dry up, life is gone. So we've got to draw resources from God. As we do that, people will be able to make contributions. Um, but... So the desire of having my needs met by, human, uh, by any other human is, is doomed from the start. Um, the one who's trying to help just runs out of resources, and I just, I can't be God for this person. I'm going to run out. And the one who's being helped, they're just, I'm always frustrated that you're not helping enough. I just, it, it's frustrating relationship for both people. So again, if, if, uh, if this is happening to you, and you think maybe a confrontation is needed, Call it what it is and discuss it. Especially if you come from a dysfunctional family background, you may have a tendency to play one of these games or get caught and stuck in one of these games. You can learn to call yourself on this and stop it early on, otherwise you'll stay isolated from people and be missing the connection that God intends. Um, another, let, me sh- let me share another relationship killer. This is number three. This thing is a, a killer of relationships. It is Poor communication patterns. So we assume often that when, we're, when we talk, we're communicating. Like I just start talking at you and automatically communication is happening. That's generally not how it goes. Um, talking and communicating are very different things. It's just like, the, it, it might as well be grunt. Sometimes we just even just grunt and, or just make expressions or looks. And we think we've communicated, but there's... There's a lot more that goes into effective communication. Basically, what's required is I've got an idea in my head, and as I talk, you over here have to have the same thing in your head. And I don't know all that goes on, but it is really hard for me to get my idea to match perfectly the idea in your head as I'm talking. It's really hard to do this. I could be talking all I want, and I, I'm being, I could not be more clear. I cannot possibly be misconstruing anything I'm saying, and somehow there's, like the, there's a different idea forming in your head. And maybe we don't even realize it. We've got different, we're, we're, we're not even talking about the same thing. How is, this, how is communication so difficult? Um, it's because we have our own frame of reference. I have my way of seeing the world. Maybe you have different trigger words or hot buttons that I say something and then it just different emotions start up or emit images. And I'm not aware. So what needs to happen in effective communication, and if this doesn't happen, relationships start breaking down quick. The message sent needs to match the message received. So I talk, and I'm sending a message. When you receive it, the message you receive might be really different, and they need to match. We need to get to how they match. And the only way to do that that I'm aware of is to ask for feedback. And I need to wonder, like, I wonder if my message is getting through. Um, which this approach, by the way, is not normal. Hardly anybody does this, it feels like. Norm- normally, we just say, I'm just going to say what I'm going to say, and you need to listen, and if you don't understand what I just said, it's your fault, because you misunderstood me. No, like, you don't need to get proud over it. <laughs> I, I need to ask for feedback. So, so what, do you, what are you hearing me say? Or, like, what, or the other person can say, um, so what I'm hearing you say is this. Is this correct? And you're like, no, that's... No, you almost got it, but this is actually really what I mean. Like, oh, okay, so is this what you're saying? Yeah, now you got it. Okay, now you got it. And then, actually, it takes a few, uh, often, especially with difficult communication topics or conflict stuff, it, sometimes it takes passes back and forth before the image gets clear and matches on both heads. Both people have a, a responsibility. For effective communication, both mes- messenger and receiver have a shared responsibility to make sure it's effective. Some poor communication patterns sometimes arise kind of along these lines. Um, Another thing that that just breaks things down is when there's a failure to talk about issues that need to be discussed. Sometimes there's really touchy things in a relationship, and you don't need to jump on every touchy thing right away, but after time, there's issues that need to be dealt with in a relationship and sometimes we don't have courage to deal with them. Sometimes I'm like, if I don't, if I don't bring it up, hopefully it just goes away. That maybe if I don't talk about it, it'll just resolve on its own. 
How well does that strategy work? <laughs> Not great. What happens is, um, man, if I, uh, in reality, what tends to happen, those issues that need to be talked about, they get uglier and larger and worse. And the, the relationship is, by the way, getting worse. We need to get honest and address those looming issues. If we don't confront when we need to, what ends up happening is we end up griping at the other person, maybe even hating them if it goes on too long. Man, we're hoping that issue that that person is doing, I just, I just hope they'll change. Like, if they would just change, this would be, I'm just, I'm going to wait till they change. I'm not going to talk about it. We're afraid of the results if we bring up the tough issues. So I'll just put up with it for now. Man, but it gets worse and worse, and then I'm growing bitter and frustrated. It's not getting addressed. And what could have been a good relationship if I was willing to take a risk on the tension now turns into a sour relationship, and I, I just want distance. Actually, now I don't even want to relate to you. I, I have no interest in closeness at all. I don't want to be close. I don't want to be warm to you. So this, this is a relationship killer for sure. And if you're not used to confronting issues, got to learn how. And when we don't confront, so, so you'll, you'll know if this is happening. I don't know if you're, you've been in a situation and um, there's two people in the room and, they're, and you're all, everyone's talking and they start sniping each other, like from across the room or in the conversation. And uh, they just start making little comments, like, oh, that was like a, that was a nasty little comment he just said to her. Like, wow, you, you just said that in front of everybody? And then they snipe back. You're like, oh, you're sniping at each other. What's going on? This, husbands and wives often do this. When, when things at home are not getting addressed, in a social setting, they start coming out. Or just the tension starts coming out. And this is probably an indicator that things are not being brought up that need to be talked about in, in the right way. So if, if the sniping or the griping starts, things are already spiraling in this relationship, and it's not good. Um, so we need to stop. We need to back up. We just need to start talking about these things and start working through them. And then one more aspect of this communication, it comes out if, if there's an inadequate listening procedure. Sometimes we don't listen adequately. You're like, I'm a, good, I'm a good listener. I listen. I listen to what you said. But really, I'm more focused on what I'm going to say next. I'm just listening so I can start like loading my own gun. <laughs> I'm listening. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Yep, I hear you. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Well, what you need to do is, you know, like, I'm just waiting for my spot. Uh, the other person gets mad when I respond because I wasn't really listening. My ears were, like, technically on my head, and, like, there's words going into them, but, man, I was not listening. Here's the procedure. What I, the similar to what I was saying earlier. We need to give feedback. If I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the right kind of listening, especially maybe, maybe, the, maybe you're frustrated or you're mad or you're feeling emotional about things or there's a problem, I'm going to let you talk, and after that I'll say, all right, so what, what I hear you saying is you feel frustrated when I did this. Is, is that what you're saying? The person's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Or no, like, it's, that's, not even, <laughs> that's not even what I'm mad about at all. Okay, I, I really do want to know. So I, I want to understand. Trying to understand what's in their mind, what's on their heart, before, even before we start thinking about our replies. Because I, I really want to know, is, is the picture that I have in my head a match of what's in that person's head? Proverbs 18, 13, it says, The one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace. Another translation says, it's stupid to do this. I love, it's a... It's like, I think, a New Living Translation. It's stupid to answer before you listen, meaning sometimes we're, we're, we're hearing what they say, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to shoot back. But sometimes our response is just not even in line with where they're at. We just we think we know, but it's stupid. It just makes it worse. It's stupid because it makes it worse when we do this. When we skip the step of really listening and understanding, we're in dangerous territory, and really you're about to put a knife in the relationship. If we're just so ready to talk. Listen and understand, this is, this is a communication pattern that needs to be learned and developed. Another aspect of communication is um, when we get our emotions involved so early on. 
Um, sometimes a touchy subject comes up and then you start feeling emotional. Okay, maybe you're, get, you're getting like really upset or frustrated or like really discouraged and the emotions are, all right, I'm already starting to feel it right now. I'm getting angry. All of a sudden, our emotions get involved. We still stir it up, and now I'm, I'm remembering some other things that you did too, by the way, also. Now I'm building pressure, and, and out of the emotional cloud and the fog that we're feeling, I cannot hear anything accurately now because my anger is distorting things, the, the environment, I'm just, I can't see or think clearly because of the emotions. And when we let our emotions start getting involved, the communication is just not gonna be effective. And generally, if you try to communicate, it's going to get worse. So if this becomes a pattern, the, the relationship will be damaged long term. If the emotions are allowed to run and just cloud things up, damage will come. So we, we need to first listen, need to learn to listen to what people are saying. Um, James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Um, Quick to listen and really understand. It's almost like there's a race where you're, you're starting, maybe you're starting to feel angry and your anger wants to win and like get into the situation first, but we need to like let the listening win the race. And speaking, by the way, speaking and anger. So I'm feeling angry and I really want to talk. I'm angry, I want to talk. We need to like hold those back and let listening come out ahead. We're gonna, we're gonna take time to listen and to understand. Um, if you have a habit of jumping emotionally, Calm that down. There's, there's ways to calm that down. We actually did a whole series on dealing with emotions uh, a few months ago. Um, easier said than done, I know, on this one. Uh, many times that sudden rush of emotions, by the way, you feel, sometimes you feel a spike of anger or something or sadness. A lot of times, if you're a follower of Christ, um, it may be the enemy. There may be some evil spirits around, cause, like causing that, incites, provoking that, stoking that. And, um, or or may, maybe it's the rush of anger, or it could be just overwhelming fear about the, what's going to happen in the relationship. Or it could be this, like, this, this settling in of discouragement, start weighing us down. Oftentimes that comes from the demonic realm. It is offered to us, and we've, we've accepted those feelings so many times, we just assume it's us, and I just, this is who I am, and it's, how, it's what I have to live with. We, we accept it as our own. Um, so sometimes we just buy into it, and then it does become ours, because we've just now accepted it. But many times you can stop the rush by praying specifically against the enemy, commanding it to stop and to leave, and asking the Lord for help. These uh, last three relationship killers, I'm gonna, I'm, these are gonna go a little bit faster. I spent the most time on these first three. But the number four relationship killer is unfaithfulness. Um, one category of unfaithfulness is lying. And it says, this is pretty easy to do in relationships. Whenever we lie or just say one thing, do another thing, cover things up or just leave, I'm gonna just omit some information that I don't want you to know about. I'm actually technically not lying because I'm not saying it. <laughs> but if, if, uh, if something is not allowed to know, if the truth is not allowed to know, and we're, we're, we're allowing deception to happen, it's, it's lying. And once trust is broken from lying, it's really hard to reestablish. You feel this way. If someone's lied to you, man, like it's really hard to trust that person. When we lie, we have to admit it and straighten it out immediately. The sooner the better. A string of broken promises is another type of unfaithfulness where we say, we, we say one thing, we're gonna do one thing, and then we do something different. And you know what, maybe I'll give you grace one time, but if a person keeps doing this and they just keep not coming through, whew, this, this, this is a killer. Um, so if you break promises, or if you're just too quick to say what you're gonna do and you're not that quick about following through, man, ask for forgiveness and make it right. Don't just say, hey, please forgive me, and then run off. No, like, keep, keep the thing you said you were gonna keep and, and make those promises right. The fifth relationship killer is pride. Could definitely do an entire series on this one. I'll just say a few things. Um, it's, particularly as it relates to a refusal to ask forgiveness and a refusal to grant 
forgiveness. Um, as far as asking, sometimes we won't admit that we were hurt because we're too, we're too proud about it. Well, I'm, I'm not that small of a person. I don't, you, know, you don't have to ask my forgiveness because I'm impenetrable. <laughs> you can't hurt me. When in reality, we were cut by it. Or it, w- it was frustrating. Or it was hurtful. But we don't want to admit it. We, and so, well, I don't, I, don't need to, I don't need to give you a forgiveness because I wasn't hurt by it. Um, but in our hearts, we're still angry. Man. And I also kind of want to retaliate. And I kind of want to make you pay, too. Sometimes we're too proud to admit that. And on the other side, sometimes we're too proud to admit that we did something wrong. This is really, really hard. It's really hard to see the things we contribute to the relationship breakdown. Man, and in those words, those seven words, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Six words. I am sorry. <laughs> um, those, those are some of the seven hardest words to say. because of, And the reason is because pride. Because we got a stewing, seething cesspool of pride in our hearts. All of us do. Which makes it so hard to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? It's really hard. Romans 12, 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. That one is easier said than done, too. So pride... If pride, if pride is just going on in relationships and forgiveness is not being asked, it's not being given, that relationship is not going to last very long. At least, it's not going to be a good one. Last one, number six, selfishness. Selfishness is saying, I want what I want when I want it. <laughs> I want it. In a relationship, we need to learn some, there's, you know, healthy relationship. There's give and there's take, okay, there's back and forth, there's teamwork, there's mutual benefit. A demanding attitude will kill relationships. We need to learn to be a giver, not a taker. As people give to you, you can receive. And when we take, um, oh yeah, um, if we did, if we just have this taking, this demanding attitude, people feel ripped off. Um, so we need to learn to be a giver. And. Um, Okay, so those are, those are the six. I've been alive for 37 years, and I've been entrenched in battle with my own selfishness for about, for about 37 of those years, I'd say. Get, you know. um, I have destroyed precious things through lying. I have beat people over the head with my own pride. I have set some of my relationships on fire through every one of these relationship killers. It's amazing I have any relationships or any ones that I could call good. Um, there's this verse in Genesis that I personally relate to. Genesis 6, it's this really dark description of people. It says, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. This, this is a statement just prior to the flood. This is why God brought the flood on the earth. It's because of how constantly wicked and depraved our hearts are. And during this period of time, relationships were horrific. They were beyond dysfunctional. In fact, you can actually look around our world right now and see some pretty awful things happening. It seems like every week there's really bad things happening. And I know that this was not just the days of Noah, but this, if I was left to my own selfishness, I would fit very easily into this description. After the flood, so God did bring the flood, but after that, he, he decided, I'm not going to do the flood strategy again. He said, I'm going to provide a different solution to address the wickedness. And it, the solution was Jesus. I loved, I heard in one of my um, Bible classes, you know, the rainbow was like the this, this sign that God gave after the flood. Um, if you think of a bow as in like a bow and arrow, I think that's why they call it a bow, because it looks like a weapon. Um, in the flood, when the, when the rains came down, the flood destroyed people. The rainbow is a bow that's pointing up into heaven, 
And the next time that God would execute his wrath, it would be on himself through Jesus. That was a foreshadowing of what was to come. And the incredible thing is we are, I don't know about you, I'm wicked. I am a sinner, and I really, really mess up my relationships bad, but praise Jesus that he came and he died to pay for my sins. Not only that, so not, I'm actually okay with God now. Even though I've really messed things up, I'm okay with God because Jesus died for me, and I've accepted his salvation, and Jesus is my Lord. But not only that, but now he enables me by the Holy Spirit to start putting things back together in a good way so I don't have to be like it was in Genesis anymore. Like, there's good refreshing, enjoyable things that can grow in my relationships because of what Jesus did for me and the Holy Spirit working in me. The good news is that God allows us even to love people that are being difficult. Um, hmm. I'm going to, um, I have a few more notes. I'm going to share that, I'm going to, I'm going to abbreviate this one because I think it might be helpful. But when it comes to, because, I, because of what God has done for me, I can actually approach those difficult people in a different way. So maybe when you've heard all these relationship killers, you're like, oh yeah, that's my mom, that's my husband, that's my friend, that's that person that I don't even talk to anymore, and you're like thinking of all these people. So all those difficult people in your life, you can actually, you can actually start interacting with them in a different way. And here's why. Romans 12, 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Which means there are some people at which you cannot be at peace. So just accept that. There's like, even if you're the most godly Christian that ever walked the planet, there's going to be some people that you cannot have peace with because of them. <clears throat> you're going to do your part, though. And you're going to make sure that your side of the relationship is clear, and you're going to give them space if there's conflict. Some people are difficult because they intend to violate your boundaries. They have decided to, and they want to. They're going to nail you down to meet their needs, they may be manipulative or pushy. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to do this for me? Um, for, this, for difficult people, think through where the boundaries are because you cannot have adult-child relationships between two adults. You're an adult. This other person is an adult. Each person needs to bear their own responsibilities. And whenever these manipulative people come to you, you simply have to say, no. No, I'm not going to do that. Or... There's, there's many different ways of saying that. Or if they want you to do something, you can say, like, hey, let me think about that. I'll decide if I want to do that. Um, but, but I have to know right now. You've got to tell me my answer. Like, um, I'm sorry, I, I just need to think through that. I'll let you know if I want to do that. Well, the deadline is almost here. You've got you to tell me. Like, I'm sorry. Play, play the broken record. I'll get back to you. I'll just decide if I want to do that or not. You can say the same thing over and over again, whatever the response is. And whenever people are trying to make decisions for you out of bounds, in one form or another, say, like, I'll make the decision for myself. I need space to think about that right now. And if they don't like it, let them blow. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You tell somebody no, and then, like, things erupt, or, you know, the blowing can look a different way. They say no, and then about, maybe about the 25th time that they blow, they might start to get the picture. Like, you're not going to be manipulated. This, we did a series, a series before this. Uh, we talked about the avil. Um, it's the, the controlling or the manipulative way, foolish strategy for life. This is kind of a description of what we're saying. But if you live in fear of a person blowing up, they will run your life. I don't know if you want that to happen or not. But over time, here's what's going to happen. You let other people run your life, you're going to hate them. You're going to hate them. Maybe it's even one of your parents, or maybe it's somebody in your, in your family. And you can say, I, I would like an adult relationship with you. I actually really, I want, to, I, want to have, I want to be a friend. But on this issue, you're crossing a boundary, and we can't do this. It's not working. And they might blow. And maybe they'll try it again, and they'll, and they'll blow again. After a while, they'll finally get the picture. And it might even take years. But while it's going on, if we, if we appropriately speak the truth in love, and confront when it needs to be, I can have peace in my heart around this person where previously I could not. Even if there's tension in the relationship, I know I'm doing what I need to, and I can have peace internally. And I can actually reasonably like this person because I'm no longer being controlled by them. I can like them 
I can even grow a sympathy towards them. Because I can see, man, this strategy that they're doing, which is no longer working on me, is destroying their relationships. Like, they're isolated and don't have, like, they don't have healthy relationships. There's a sympathy that can grow here. And very few people, if anyone in their life, may be actually willing to speak the truth in love. If you let them control you, and you just refuse to confront them in love, you'll hate them, and it'll eat your guts out. So this was relationship killers, and how to avoid them, and how to deal with difficult people. Relationships really need to be about benefit, mutual care for one another, and when they get out of balance, we gotta bring them back in. Um, let me give you a few next steps. I'll, I'll throw out your way things you might consider. One might be, I need to get a new heart by turning from my sin and putting my faith in Jesus. Maybe you're at the starting point where you need to say, I need, I need my life to be different. The way I've been doing it is not working anymore. We can talk about that. Let us know on your connection card if you'd like to put your faith in Christ for the first time. Another thing would be to get honest with myself about a relationship killer. And you look at this list and you're like, okay, which one of these am I most often guilty? Or this is, this is like level 10. No, level 11 is ask someone close to me, which is my struggle? Ooh, let the, give them the paper and be like, all right, which one of these do I deal with? That would be intense. Actually, just cross that one out. You don't have to, that, I'm not even gonna, I'm not gonna, you just decide for yourself if you're gonna do that one. And there's actually one more bonus one that is not on your handout, it's only on the screen, and um, it's effectively handle a violation of trust. It's what I was just talking about in terms of appropriately and rightly confronting a person in love because it needs to happen. Maybe that's where you're at. When we walk with Jesus, there is hope for real, meaningful relationships and friendships. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us today, and we thank you for the incredible life change that you've made available by sending your son to die for us. I thank you, God, that not only can we have salvation, but we can actually have really enjoyable, good, healthy relationships here on earth. And that, that, that brings greater honor and glory to your name. And it allows the church to go on and be effective in the mission of advancing your kingdom. And so I pray that you'd help us to humbly, each of us, reflect on these different things and on your word as it relates to us. And take courage to take steps of obedience this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, at this time, as we wrap up, um, if you pull out